Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you guys. Uh, this happens to be your first time here at Hill City. My name is John Wagler, and I'm part of this team here, and just grateful you're spending a part of your Sunday uh, here with us. And I uh, hope this is a place where you can discover what it means to follow Jesus and uh, find some community here uh, as well. And this is a place that you can call home. And so uh, we're in this Embody uh, series. We've been in this for a long time, since the start of the year. And uh, we'll be in it through Easter, and uh, because obviously Jesus' resurrected body, I mean, it mattered. So uh, we'll be in it through Easter. And these next few weeks, um, we're going to talk about our physical bodies uh, together. And so um, this week, if you've got kids in here, you're good, mostly. Like, you're good, like, no, you're good all the way. And uh, next week, if you've got kids in here, for sure put them in the kids area. Uh, first of all, kids area is wonderful. It is designed for them. And uh, yeah, and so um, we have incredible people up there uh, loving on your kids and teaching them what it means to love Jesus and that Jesus loves them. And, uh, and so, but next week it will be a little heavier on the sexuality side. So um, again, if you want to have those conversations on your way home with your six-year-old, that's your call, but uh, that's on you, not me. And, but our physical bodies deeply matter, and part of what we embody is, is so important. And we've been using this line uh, in the beginning uh, of each talk, which is simply this, so we embody whatever we worship. So whatever Whatever is at the core of our being is what comes out of us. It, it's, it's our human expression. It's, it, it's what we are telling other people around us, how we live and how we talk and everything. It, it's what we think it means to be human. And so we've been looking at all these different aspects of what that means and, and why it's so important to have Jesus at the center of all of this. But our physical bodies actually deeply matter. And uh, our, how we treat our physical bodies are, and how we see our physical bodies, like that's why I love the songs that we sang uh, this morning, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, Great Are You, Lord, and talking about our bones, you know, and, um, or even when uh, goodbye fear, goodbye shame, goodbye guilt, all those things that can be associated with our bodies. It, it's such a big deal how we think about our bodies, how we see our bodies, how we see one another's uh, bodies in the way that we kind of view each other and, and what it means to whether we're humanizing ourselves or other people or dehumanizing ourselves or other people. Our physical bodies and what we do with that is actually a gospel issue. Uh, I, know, I know a lot of times we don't think about that because we only think about it, oh, am I healthy or not? But there is a gospel issue associated with it. And so uh, it's important for us to be able to see our bodies in the right light. Now, uh, when I was thinking about this, we had a conversation in, in our staff, and it was just fascinating to see how we were all raised into thinking about our bodies or what impacts how we think our bodies. And uh, so often, sometimes I was like, hey, what do you guys think your body's going to be like when you're in heaven? And it's a funny thing to start thinking about because some people, are, I'm like, what age will you be? And you start thinking like, oh, I kind of like my age right now, maybe. I don't know. So, you know, might wish you were younger or older. Uh, some of you might be like, oh, I wish uh, this would shift about my body or this. And you start having all these thoughts about your body. Now, are they Christ-like? I don't know. You know, there's some things we don't know about what our bodies will be like in heaven in that glorified state. But we, we inherently think, oh, this will be gone. I bet, man, this thing that happened these last 10 years, that'll be gone. I don't, we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen with our, our heavenly resurrected bodies. But it's also interesting um, how many people on staff, uh, we had this conversation around that our souls are separate from our bodies. But the, body actually, but the Bible doesn't actually talk about it in that way. And I'm going to show you that uh, here in just uh, a minute. 
But we've been kind of taught in certain ways and, and nurtured into certain ways about thinking about our bodies. Some people in this room have had really hard experiences with your body because of someone else that has been done to you and there's trauma and there's abuse and there's things that like have, have happened to you that like cause the way to, you know, cause how you think about your body to actually happen. Some of us have just gotten fixated or idolatrous with our body or have let our bodies go or whatever it is, but there's so many things around our physical body that actually impact our faith, that impacts our witness, that impacts how uh, we engage God and how he actually loves us. And so our physical bodies are a really big deal and how we see them and how we uh, interact with bodies. But we obviously live in a culture that kind of spins us out of control uh, all the time. I remember when I was, uh, and this was a good thing that's always stuck with me uh, about our physical bodies. My strength and conditioning coach in college, uh, he, uh, I was 20 I think at the time, and he was about 10 years older than me. And I was like, Shane, I was like, you're pretty jacked, dude. Like, wh why do you think about, like as a 30 year old, like what, what do you, how do you think about your body? He's like, well, here's what I know. Everything you do in your 20s matters for your 30s. Everything you do in your 30s matters for your 40s and kind of so on and you know, so forth. And he's like, so if you want to be the kind of dad that's wrestling with your kids or, you know, um, being able to be like doing physical activities, like make sure you're always paying attention to what you're doing to your body and how you're investing in it. And so he's like, do you want to be a kid who can wrestle with your kids? I was like, yeah. And, I, and so I was like, when I'm in my 50s, like I want my kids to know I can still whoop them, right? Like there's like, there's like dad strength, and then there's like actual physical strength too. You combine those two, that's pretty nasty. And so uh, I was like, I, I, I want that in my life. And, uh, and so and if, you know, now we have two daughters and I'm like, and I want, if they date people, I want that dude to know if something goes wrong, I can take care of him too. And so like, there's like a, there's something to all that and it, and it matters. So anyway, but we live in a culture in, in that makes us view our bodies so poorly, like whether you want to call it the empire or capitalism or whatever, because it becomes so much about money. And, that, and, and we're shaped by the commercials, we're shaped by marketing. And I'm going to show you a couple examples of that here in just a second. But even the way um, we commodify bodies happens everywhere. So uh, in skincare lines, you know, there's so many things around skincare right now, and, and which can be a really good thing. I'm, I'm for those things. But uh, think about this, uh, just in terms of money, in the EU, uh, they, they eliminate 1,600 chemicals that could go in skincare, okay? In America, guess how many they eliminate? Nine. Why? Money. And it's all shaped around marketing and everything else. In, in food, uh, in, in, the, in, in, in the EU, they, uh, you're not allowed to put something in food uh, unless you can prove it doesn't hurt you. The FDA in America, uh, they don't take something out of food unless it's proven it hurt you. And that's the way it works. Why? Money. And so you see that it commodifies everything and impacts our physical bodies. You think about all the autoimmune diseases and everything else that's transpiring right now that didn't used to be this way. And it's all about money, and it's, it's dehumanizing all of us. And so we see that this uh, can happen. Uh, even some of the commercials that are out, I want to show you a commercial from uh, the gym Equinox, which is one of the most famous gyms in, in the country. I want you to see this commercial. Is it risque? Maybe a little. But uh, I want you to see this uh, because of what they say in it, and then they have kids in this commercial. And I just want you to see, like, this is what happens with our bodies. So let's go ahead and take a look at this commercial. There once was a man who fell in love with his own reflection. 
all day, he's starting to approve, starving others of his attention. As the weeks moved, he was glued. Some thought he'd eat himself like food. Every inch improved, he would persist. Until self-worship turned him into a gift. A gift not just for him to treasure, but a gift that brought the whole world pleasure. And so I put this question to you all. Does that not make self-obsession the most selfless act of all? wonder why we are where we are? I mean, that's just a legit commercial that literally she says in there, uh, self-obsession is, is the most uh, selfless gift we can give to the world. And so you think about, like, this is what is shaping us. This is what culture does. And this is, how, uh, like, all the imagery and all the things that are happening. You might think, wow, we're out of control right now. Here's the thing. Let me show you an ad from 1922. It says this. All around you, people are judging you silently. This is uh, from Woodbury Soap. And uh, one of the lines that they have in there uh, is this. Keep your skin clear, smooth, and flawless. It should be above criticism, always. That's 1922. This guy. This is in 1812. Uh, this is Bo Brummel. And some of you guys maybe have heard him. He's actually one of the first sociolites that uh, we've had and influencers. This is way before this was really a thing. He revolutionized uh, men's fashion. And still, a lot of men's fashion goes back to him and what he did. And uh, you might be thinking, we don't look like that anymore. But it's, that's better than what was happening at that time. But here's what Bo did. He was uh, more in like the kind of the working class uh, and wasn't one of the aristocrats. And, and so he figured out a way to make everyone start to view themselves as like a self-created kind of hybrid of, of God and fashion. And you could become your own God. You become your own person. You could be whoever you wanted to be. There was this self-centered, self-obsessed way to begin to, to dress and to see your own body. So this goes back a long time. Now, we think it's like way, we're way worse off, but this goes back a long time that this idea of, man, where we commodify our bodies and how we see our bodies, it's not what God ever intended. And then you kind of think through some commercials now that have swung, you have the Equinox commercial and other commercials swing uh, the entire other way where maybe people don't care about their body at all and then they deem that healthy. And then it's this viewpoint uh, that becomes extreme in the other direction that isn't healthy. In, in the same way you think about physical touch, and um, we are in a, phys, like the touch deprived uh, uh, culture right now, uh, and it's kind of crazy when you look at data all around us, but touch, we are an oversex culture that is touch deprived. It's because of a, uh, the way that we see our bodies, and the way we commodify everything, we dehumanize everyone, it, it's just, 
it just continues to uh, perpetuate this idea of like, man, everything's got to be sexualized. Uh, for Ruby, you know, she's our six-year-old, and it's like interesting how this is impacting even her. So she's a, a pretty loving kid and uh, gives Lord knows how many hugs a day. And if you've been around Ruby at all, you, you know she's probably hugged you at some point. And even if she doesn't know you, she will. The other day she comes home, she goes, Dad, or, or she's in the car with me as we're leaving school. She goes, Dad, um, I liked um, preschool a lot better than kindergarten. And I said, why is that, Ruby? And she goes, well, um, because they have this rule at school um, where it's keep your hands to yourself. And I was like, oh, I was like, well, there are reasons for that, you know. And she goes, yeah, but I just want to hug people. And I said, Okay, uh, I was like, well, what happens if you uh, want to, uh, can you tell someone or you ask someone if they would like to be hugged, uh, if, if you can hug them then? And she goes, no, the teacher said that you can't even do that. And, um, and so, and she goes, dad, I just want to hug people. It's so loving and it's so fun when you just, you grab someone and you hug them and squeeze them tight. And I was like, I, I know, Ruby. And, um, and she goes, and she goes, like back in preschool, she goes, man, we used to hug each other all the time. And then Perry, when Perry would go around and hug us, he would do this funny thing and we would just laugh together as we hugged. And it was a super sweet little moment. I was like, well, sweetie, I was like, you know, um, you got to go by the rules of, of the school. I was like, but you know what? Just like, if people say you can hug them, just go ahead and hug them. And, uh, and, uh, um, and she, she does. There's plenty of people that are there. But so uh, a couple of days later, um, she comes home with this uh, drawing of a, a rocket or coloring of a rocket. And Lacey's like, what did you guys do today at school? And she goes, um, uh, uh, Lacey goes, did you talk about space today? And, and Ruby's like, personal space. And, uh, and so she had this, this color, this picture, and Lacey was like, now, was everyone in the personal space lesson, or was this just for you? And um, everyone did it. But the point is, the point is, is like, now we're starting to see where it's like, you, you can't even, like, give someone a hug. You can't, you can't even, um, and I get consent and all those things. I, I understand what I'm saying, but the purity of the exchange that you can have with someone, it's been stripped away. And I always say, you think about back in the day when, when Paul, uh, in the Bible, Paul like, talks about greeting each other with a holy kiss. I'm not saying that's prescriptive. I'm just saying it's a description of, of the interaction that used to be with people. And, and then we've lost that. Um, it's not there because we're an over-sexualized culture and we commodify everything. Virtual communities that you take the body out of the, the equation and you realize how isolated and lonely we all are. And, you know, um, again, all the data that comes out, you know, uh, right now, the, the youngest generations that we have are the most lonely, have the most depression, most anxiety in history since it's been being measured. Um, and, and you can see all the correlation to, to phones and social media because connection is, isn't real. It's not real connection when you're just on a screen. And so you, you suffer the consequences of those things. And so our kids are going through uh, a lot of that. Um, even when, when church, you know, you think about is virtual church, online church, good. Yes, it's a great tool, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, but it's not the same as, as being in the physical presence of other people. There's literally something that biologically, scientifically happens when you're singing together and when we're in together in the room. Why? Because physical presence and physical bodies uh, deeply matter. When you overwork and get burnt out and you're riddled with stress, how many of you guys have ever been in that space? That is dehumanizing. Have you ever thought about that? 
that is hurtful to our bodies, that is not treating our bodies properly. And we've all been, I mean, almost every hand in the room goes, went up. But it's dehumanizing to ourselves. It's not treating our bodies properly. Trillions are spent on the self-care movement. And is there good in it? Yes, there is good in it. Has it worked and answered questions of humanity? Not even close. And so this idea of trying to fake everything doesn't work either. Our bodies are important because we all know this. Um, how many of you guys have ever seen somebody that you knew in the past and you had a bodily reaction to it? You felt your body tense up. So are you, we begin to understand that there's a deeper connection to our bodies than just being physical skin and bones. There's something so prevalent to our bodies that's so important to begin to understand. Have Christians done a good job understanding our bodies? And the answer is, is no. Some of you guys grew up during a time during the church where uh, they made, uh, it was called the purity culture movement. And was there some good about purity culture? Uh, yeah, probably. Uh, but there, was there some bad? Yeah. And most of it was centered around the way that we saw our own bodies. It was like, kind of gross or the way they would make you feel judged or so guilty or so much shame and you've experienced that reality. That's not what God designed for us to how see our bodies and understand our bodies. You think about um, folks with um, physical disabilities and the church has done a horrific job over time uh, around this. You know, there was a time even when in, uh, where churches in the 80s were petitioning um, the government to, to grandfather them back in to the old rules for buildings so they didn't have to spend money to make it easier access for folks with disabilities. And all across the country, churches signed to do that. And what is that? That's dehumanizing. It's not treating people properly. I was looking through my notes this morning. I was telling Josh, who was up here playing guitar, and I was just like praying through the service this morning. I was, and I was thinking about, I was like, man, I don't think I've ever done a, a sermon uh, where it's been like really focused on uh, those with physical disabilities and, and how's God see that and how do we love and how do we interact communally and everything else. And I was like, man, I've never done a sermon around that. And I went back to, I have this private journal that I keep that has about 4,000 entries in it over the last 13 years. And uh, I went and it's all categorized and has notes and everything. And, and I went and I looked to see if I had a single note from someone else's sermon or a book I've read or anything centered around that. And I had nothing. And I started thinking about, how unbelievably dehumanizing that is. And, uh, and, I, and I apologize that I've, I'm a part of that and haven't taught on it and haven't studied it enough and haven't like, led us in a good way there. And so that is completely my fault. Um, but I was just thinking about that this morning. And how many times do people walk in and are we thinking and are we seeing in the right way? Are we seeing people in the right way? And so our physical bodies deeply matter. The Bible, what it does is pretty interesting because it talks about two different ways around our bodies. And I'm going to show you one way um, from a video from a Bible project. And then I'm going to quickly take us through another way that the Bible talks our bodies, about our bodies that's really important. But I want you to watch this Bible project video. It's a few minutes long, but it does such a wonderful job of just describing how the Bible talks about this connection between our physical bodies and our souls. For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. We're going to look at the word soul. The Hebrew word is nefesh. It occurs over 700 times in the Old Testament. 
The common English translation of this word is soul, and that's kind of unfortunate. Here's why. The English word soul comes with lots of baggage from ancient Greek philosophy. It's the idea that the soul is a non-physical, immortal essence of a person that's contained or trapped in their body to be released at death. It's a ghost in the machine kind of idea. This notion is totally foreign to the Bible. It's not at all what nephesh means in biblical Hebrew. The most basic meaning of nephesh is throat. Like when the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness, they're hungry and thirsty, and they say to God, we missed the cucumbers and melons we had in Egypt, now our nephesh has dried up. Or when Joseph was hauled off into slavery in Egypt, his nephesh was put into iron shackles. But nephesh doesn't only mean throat. Since your whole life and body depend on what comes in and out of your throat, nephesh could also be used to refer to the whole person. Like in Genesis, there were 33 nephesh in Jacob's family, that is 33 people. In the Torah, a murderer is called a nephesh slayer, and a kidnapper is called a nephesh thief. On the first pages of the Bible, both humans and animals are called a living nephesh, and if the life breath has left a human or animal, the nephesh remains. It's just called a dead nephesh, that is, a corpse. So, in the Bible, people don't have a nephesh, rather, they are a nephesh, a living, breathing, physical being. Now that might surprise you because most people assume the Bible says the soul is what survives apart from the body after death. And while the biblical authors do have a concept of people existing after death waiting for the resurrection, they rarely talk about it. And when they do, they don't use the word nephesh. So even though nephesh is often translated as soul, the Hebrew word really refers to the whole human as a living physical organism. In fact, this is why biblical people can often use this word to refer to themselves. And gets translated me or I. Like in Psalm 119, most translations read, let me live that I may praise you. In Hebrew, the poet literally says, let my nephesh live that it may praise you. By using nephesh, the poet emphasizes that their entire being, their life and their body, offer thanks to God. In the Song of Songs, the young woman constantly refers to her lover as the one my nephesh loves. And of course, love isn't just an intellectual experience, it's an emotion that activates your whole body, your entire nephesh. This helps us understand the brilliance of other biblical poets who could combine multiple meanings of nephesh in one place. Like in Psalm 42, we read, as the deer pants for the water, so my nephesh pants after you. My nephesh thirsts for the living God. So on a physical level, your throat can be thirsty, like a deer's, but then that physical thirst can become a metaphor for how your whole physical being longs to know and be known by your creator. Which brings us all the way back to the Shema. To love God with all of your nephesh means to devote your whole physical existence to your creator, the one who granted us these amazing bodies in the first place. It's about offering your entire being with all of its capabilities and limitations in the effort to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And that's the Hebrew word for soul. Pretty cool, right? There's this reality of, there's this deeper understanding within the Bible of this connection to our physical bodies and our whole being. So even when you uh, sing, uh, you aren't just singing to like the depth of your soul. It's like, oh, my physical expression is tied into it. There's something when we pray and we open up our hands, my physical expression is tied into this. And so when we live our lives, our physical expression, our, the very, like, uh, uh, the, the nature of our being, everything that we do is tied up in our physical bodies and our expression in this life. 
They aren't separate. There's something so powerful about that and to understand and how we begin to, to look at our bodies in uh, the right way. There's this other, way, other thing that the Bible does that is really interesting in terms of how we start thinking about our bodies and why we, start, uh, why we should appreciate it so much. In Genesis chapter 1, uh, in the creation story, uh, it has this in verses 26 and 27, it talks about being made in the image of God. And this idea of being made in the image of God is, uh, is tied into this idea of uh, the temple imagery. And that the temple uh, is where the, 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 even like ancient cultures that were, were not uh, Israel and God's people, they had all these, these temples that were built. And they would say, oh, the gods live here. And it was about this idea of being an image bearer. Well, the Bible flips that and says that human beings become the image of God, that we bear this image, we're the physical expression of, of who God is. Now, we can ignore the reality and the fruit of who God is, but, but we become the idea of the fullest human experience is to be a physical representation of who God is and how we live our lives, the very core of our being. Well, in that, it's interesting what starts to happen in uh, the story. And so what we see uh, here is, the imagery that we are, are going to constantly see in the Bible is the idea of the garden starts off there. And then we go tabernacle and then temple. And then Jesus is this pivot point. And then we go back to the temple and then it ends with a garden city. And so we see that this is like the rhythm of the Bible. And so all the stories are connected. So that's why part of the reason why the Bible is just so crazy cool. The narrative is just connected throughout the whole thing. You know, and uh, we start seeing it feels separate, but it isn't. It, it's the narrative and Jesus connects all these different parts. Well, part of this is that it starts in the garden and it moves into this tabernacle kind of imagery. So in Exodus chapter 25, 8, it says, uh, chapter 25, verse 8, it says, Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell, one of the three words that starts with DW, um, I will dwell uh, among them. And so we, we see this idea that the, the Exodus, people in Exodus are enslaved. And, and God says, hey, I'm going to free you. And then what I want you to do is, is build this tabernacle, this sanctuary. And when you build this, uh, I'm going to dwell with all of you guys and, and be there with you. And, and so this idea of tabernacling and, and dwelling uh, was critical to the understanding of the presence of God uh, in, with someone. And what started to transpire is... Um, Eventually, they want to build a real temple. And so Solomon in First Kings, he actually builds the temple. And he says this, I have indeed built a magnificent temple for you, a place for you to dwell forever. This kind of physical presence that, that is there. And this idea of our, our God's presence is here with his people, like physically here in this temple. Now, it typically happens uh, throughout all of human history. Is, and we see this in the start of the Bible. We see this in our own lives and everything. There's this rhythm of deep connection with God and things begin to shift and change and we're deeply connected to God and we're, we're in uh, sync with God and then things get corrupted. Sin works its way into things and things begin to fall apart. We saw that in the Genesis story and then we moved to the Exodus story with, with people. And the same thing happens. God's people are like, we're gonna build this temple and then it gets corrupted. This guy named Nebuchadnezzar comes along. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon, and he decides, like, man, the, the Israel people are so corrupt, and they were supposed to be people who were uh, image bearers of God. They were supposed to be people who physically showed this expression of who God is and be a light to all the nations, and they weren't, and so Nebuchadnezzar comes along, and he, he conquers them, and eventually he, this is what he does. He set fire to the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every important building he burned down. And so he burns down all the physical representations that like, had anything to do with God. 
And so he comes in and he's like, man, if we can just get rid of the physical like, element, then we can get rid of God altogether. And he kind of builds this entire model that was so corrupted. And it was violent and it was over-sexualized and it was greedy and all these different things. And it had gotten away from the reality and the truth of what God designed humans to be. It entered into slavery and dehumanized everyone. God re-enters into the story and the temple gets uh, rebuilt and his people come along. And uh, in this moment, if you guys have, have ever read your Bibles, and in the end of the Old Testament, it basically makes you feel like, can humans ever do this? Can they, can they really, like by themselves, can they ever represent God the right way? Can they physically embody the reality and truth of who God is? Is it possible? You flip over to the New Testament, and uh, we discover this person named who? Jesus. Good job. Good job. <laughs> Jesus is, is part of this story. Now, I love, um, who, is, who is Jesus' mother? Good. Was she human? So there's something really interesting that starts to transpire. Um, Jesus, um, in the Christian belief, Jesus is fully human and fully God at the same time. I know, that sounds weird. I know, it seems bizarre. I know, like sometimes people try and make you f like, feel like, yeah, yeah, it's simple. He was fully human and fully God. And you're like, sure. <laughs> it doesn't make logical sense. Like there's some stuff, like listen, y'all, like there's, there's just, it takes faith. And there's, and there's some very practical things we can latch onto, but it's, it's like, but this is what the Bible says. Jesus was fully human and fully God at the same time. He was born of a human woman who had a physical body. So if Jesus was, was a, a human, he had a physical body. He was flesh and bones. And so we start seeing like, oh, then there's something significant there that, that someone who's fully God and who we now worship was fully human, had a physical body, and begins to shift how we see our own bodies. I love this quote uh, by Sam Alberry. He said this, Jesus' incarnation, which means his birth, is the highest compliment the human body has ever received. So think about how uh, you look at your own body. Do you see it through the lens of Christ's love for you? Think about how you view someone else's body. Do you see it through the lens of Christ's love for you and Christ's love for them? Do you see why this becomes a gospel issue? The heart of our physical bodies, like it becomes an issue of the proclamation of who Jesus is. And that Jesus needs to be at the center of it. And I get all the things that are nurtured into us and marketed to us, and I understand the depth of our stories and how this gets robbed from like how we're supposed to view our own bodies. But man, it's like, hold on a second. Do I view this through the lens of who Jesus is in this story? Jesus himself in John chapter one, as John's writing this, he says, the word meaning Jesus became flesh. He had a body and made his dwelling among us. This idea of like, again, his physical expression becomes important. Jesus talking in John chapter two, he says this, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple. I just want you guys to see the language. It's all, I'm just trying to connect some dots. And I will raise it again in three days. And they replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. And you're going to raise it in three days? And and it's this, but the temple he had spoken of was his what? Something to the physical body. There's something to Jesus' physical body, not just because he died and then he was risen again. It's something to your body. 
and my body something so significant to the reality and the truth of our bodies. When Jesus um, kept talking and, and he was teaching and um, eventually he makes enough people mad that they want to kill him. And he is put up on a cross and, and there's so much to the idea of him being put up on a cross. Like the, the idea of his death and the forgiveness of our sin and, and everything and sacrifice for us is a reality and the truth of who we are and how we're saved and everything else. And, the, and, and there's so much to that. There's also so much to the, just his physical body being beaten. It shows that, man, there's this relationship that, man, Jesus understands, that God understands our bodies and the physical toil we go through and the hurt we go through and the suffering we go through. There's a connection to that. So in the midst of an ailment, in the midst of a sickness, in the midst of death, in the midst of um, a physical, like anything physical that transpires, it's like we don't have a God who is separate from our physical experience. And so when we're going through those things, we are centered on the reality and the truth of who Jesus is. And it begins to shift our perspective. I'm not saying it's easy, but it gives us something to be hopeful for. And so Jesus eventually, he, when he comes back and he's talking to the disciples, I'm sorry, I forgot this part. Our perspective on our bodies is only as healthy as our connection to the Spirit of God within us. So when you're looking at this and you're, you're kind of processing, man, how does all this work? It's like, oh, there's something to our, our bodies. And, and, and our bodies are supposed to be this temple. Our bodies are supposed to, we're supposed to honor our bodies. And in Luke chapter 24, when Jesus comes back, he says, look at my hands and my feet as myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And he's like, there's something to my body, this physical expression of my body. Don't lose how important your flesh and bones actually are. As you get older, your body starts to decay. How many of you guys know that? And you feel it, right? And it's like, some of y'all who are like 22 are like, no, 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 I'm good. And... Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, like, there's always the joke about, like, as you get older, you're like, how did I get hurt when I was sleeping? Like, you know, you wake up and you're like, that's bizarre. And so all it is is, like, your, your, your body is, like, it's decaying. And you can, you can nip and tuck and do whatever you want to do to it. But essentially, it's decaying. But what we're not supposed to do is, like, have, um, start marginalizing our bodies. We're supposed to take care of it and honor it. And I'll talk about that in a second. But it's like, man, our viewpoint in this has got to shift and change. This guy named Paul was talking uh, later on. And he says this, Do you not know that your bodies are temples? So see how the language is all connected. All this stuff is all connected. Your body, my body, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. There's something within you whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price, meaning through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Therefore, honor God with your what? Now, everyone always is like, yeah, so don't have premarital sex. Like, that's what they do. Goodness gracious. There's so much more to, like, that conversation. We'll talk way more about sexuality next week. But, but it's like to honor our bodies. Like, if we're going to, like, honor the Lord with our bodies, like, that means a lot more than just about sex. So, man, I started viewing my body very uh, differently. I love this, what Paul says in Romans 12. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your what? As a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true 
and proper worship. This is what you were designed to be. Your whole physical expression. Don't miss this. This is not just about what your soul is doing. Your whole physical expression, your true worship is with Jesus at the center of it. To offer your body as a living and holy sacrifice in all that you do. So when you go to your work tomorrow, do you bring your body with you? You offer it to God. When you go to school tomorrow, do you bring your body with you? Students, if you're in school, yes. And you give it to God. You honor it. You're a living sacrifice to God. So that's how we're supposed to begin to start seeing this. This is way deeper than this. It's like, yeah, it's about dating. Yeah, it's about sex. Yeah, it's about it. But it's way bigger than that. So we start thinking about all these different things wildly differently. If the human body is so sacred, then where do you think Satan will focus attention on first? Right after our bodies. That's why marketing is what it is. That's why um, these commercials are what they are and everything with greed. Here are a couple of things I just want you to remember. There's order and honor to our bodies. Order and honor. What I mean by order is that God is not a God of chaos. So if you feel like your life, when it comes to your body, is chaotic, something's out of order, there's a disconnect with what's within you. And so much of what we uh, focus on with our bodies is all the stuff like, we have to give up, we have to give up, we have to give up. It's everything that we're, we're, uh, we're so focused on what we think we're without that we lose focus on what we should be focused on, really, which is what? With what's within this deep connection to the Spirit of God that's within you. And it reshapes how you start to see your own body. There's order to all of these things. That Christ is at the center of it. So when we have these conversations about sexuality, if it doesn't start about Christ at the center of it, then what are we doing? You can say whatever you want to about nurture and nature and orientation and, and preference and whatever, or gay, straight, whatever. I don't care. If it doesn't start with Jesus at the center of how we talk about sexuality, then we're off. It's, it's inherently off. If we're talking about sex before marriage, it's not about Jesus. It's inherently off. And so it's important then to understand that it's like, man, that Jesus is supposed to be at the center of this because the Spirit of God is working within us. There's order to all this stuff and understand it. And then it gets all out of whack so quickly. Again, this is a multiple-part conversation. We're not going to wrap it up today. But it's out of order. Things get out of order. Things get wild and chaotic. And that's not the way that God ever uh, designed it to be. There's also this idea of our physical bodies and order and honoring it that begins to understand uh, we don't value friendship like we should and like the Bible teaches us to. And that's why um, sex and marriage is so idolatrous throughout the church first and then outside of it. Um, Let me just say this. The church has been the worst offender of uh, um, the idolatrous nature with sex and marriage than anybody else. And it's because so much focus has been on that piece and neglected the reality, the value of friendship. So when someone's single and you're like, "Mm, someday you'll meet someone and then you'll be happy. What a horrendous message the church has been preaching around that. I mean, understand that there's been so, un, so many unhappy Christian marriages throughout the church that have been demanding other single people like that you'll find like hope in marriage and then you'll finally be fulfilled. It's a weird concept that's happened. 
and single people have been marginalized throughout church history, except for this guy named Jesus and Paul, who we just read, and many others throughout the Bible who are single. But the message gets all twisted. Why? Because how we see our physical bodies has been off. Christ hasn't been at the center of it. And the honor, the honor piece is critical. I love this quote by Nancy Piercy. I want to end with this. It says, respect for the person is inseparable from respect from the body. A biblical ethic is incarnational. We are made in God's image to reflect God's character, both in our minds and in our bodily actions. There is no division, no alienation. We are embodied beings. So when you're looking at one another and you shake hands or you hug or you high five or whatever you do, it's like, we are, like this, there's this deep connection with our physical bodies within us. So this is a gospel issue. But I want to end with this because I realize in this room that there's a wide spectrum around this idea of our bodies and what's transpired over our lives. If you're here and you feel like your body doesn't matter, it does. The Spirit of God dwells within you and your body can't be bad if that is true. So if you view your body with shame, with guilt, regret, disgust, sadness. You don't see it as good. Uh, God does not see you that way. He doesn't want you to view yourself that way. It doesn't automatically take away the pain or the hurt or what brought you to that point. But I think what's important when it comes to our physical bodies and how we see ourselves is to understand that what God sees is his son and his daughter. What God sees is the beauty of who you are. What God wants is for you to see that about yourself too. And it's there that we start seeing ourselves in the mirror in the way that God sees us and that's why it starts to bring life to us. There's something incredibly deep about that. The idea of Christ being died and then resurrected, I, if you're in that space for your own body, it can, that viewpoint can be redeemed and resurrected. That's part of the beauty of the gospel. There's a flip side of this. If you treat your body as a god, you're just obsessed with it. You work out a ton and, and you, you love how you look. Like there's the, the one part where someone's like, I don't want to look at myself in the mirror. And then you're the person who you can't go through a reflection in something without flexing. You know, or seeing yourself or like you're just so maniacal and about every piece of your body. And that's all you think about. That's all you do. That's all you talk about. The Spirit of God dwells within you too, so it can't be a God. Yes to exercising and eating correctly. Um, honestly, Christians should be the most healthy people on the planet. I'm not saying the most jacked or ripped or anything. But the, I, I think we should be the most healthiest because we honor our bodies. 
but having your identity and who you are and what you look like, that's called worship, and it's also called idolatry. And God despises and hates that. And so there are these two places that it just deeply matters in how we see ourselves. So I want you guys to bow your heads. And I want us to just have a minute. <clears throat> We sing about sickness not being our story. Goodbye guilt, goodbye shame. Singing great are you, Lord. It's your breath in my lungs. So I pour out my praise. I mean, my gosh, like all those words that we sang. I just want you to think about how true those words are for you. When you think about yourself, when you think about your body, when do you see it as the Spirit of God dwelling within you? Do you want to honor that? Do you see yourself as God sees you? Do you see yourself as a God? God, at the heart of this, um, there is no perfect body type. There's no perfect body fat percentage or anything like that. But God, you do want order for our physical bodies. You do want us to honor our bodies. But the most important part in the starting point of this entire conversation is to understand that the Spirit of God lives within us and to honor that because through that we begin to see that my whole life can be a physical expression of who you are of your love for us this idea of coming to follow you coming to know you through your death and resurrection and and with that that we get the spirit of god to live within us so God, I pray that as we begin to wrestle with some of this stuff, and it's a deep conversation, and we just scratched the surface today. I pray that we would just get to the point, the starting point, that is with you at the center. When we look in the mirror, when we look at other people, that you're at the center of it all. Because that's what is the full embodied expression that we should be and to understand that through our physical bodies we are supposed to honor uh, you through our physical bodies is this incredible expression of who you are and that's how we experience the fullness of life that you have for us to follow after you to choose to be one of your disciples to honor our bodies and to honor other people's bodies because that's what it means to love other people so well because you've loved us and god where there's spaces in our lives where we have neglected to do that. God, I pray that we would also be folks of repentance and confession and want to just live this out differently. We give this to you in your name. We pray. Everyone said amen. Um, before you guys get out of here, uh, there'll be prayer on either side of the, the stage. Um,
If you're new here, we'd love to meet you uh, at the, the desk and, and learn what it means to be connected here. Let me highlight one, before you guys get here, a couple, couple quick things. One, uh, we have our uh, POC, the People of Color experience that's, that's happening here. Um, and so uh, we do that every so often um, to kind of gather folks and give a voice and meet other folks in the same stage. And um, that's happening after the second service. Um, and so we would love to have you um, if that's who you are. Um, and the last thing is this, just thank you for your generosity. Um, last week when David Bailey was here, uh, he told us that he traveled 175 days last year. And uh, I started thinking about that. He was all over the country helping people. Um, we are one of their biggest givers to help do that. And, and so your generosity, again, it's a big deal for our generosity, what's transpiring here in our space and how many people come and all that stuff. And it's a really big deal. But think about like your generosity and your giving is like reaching so many people throughout this country. And so thank you so much for having a heart to give and be a part of this and um, to fund so many different things throughout this city and make this church go. That is an incredible uh, way to show the reality and truth of who Jesus is. So thank you so much for being a part of that. Um, love you guys so much. We'll see you all next week.